The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia, and thank you for actually being here. Um, it gets harder and harder with daylight savings time. Anybody else want to just do away with this for good, that it would never happen again? And yet, apparently, Congress would have to agree on it, and it's probably the most common sense thing they could do, which means they will never do it. So we'll live with it probably the rest of our lives, but it felt like I lost five hours of sleep last night, not one. Welcome to uh, the second week of Lent. And uh, Lent is a season uh, where I believe we get to see things more clearly. We disrupt things so that we can see our lives more clearly. If you didn't grow up um, practicing Lent, then it may be new to you. And many of you grew up practicing Lent, but it was more a way to smack yourself, right? Anybody have that? You're like, I'm going to give things up to punish myself for being bad, right? Anybody have that sense? I've heard people express it. Nobody's going to nod at me today, apparently, but some of you have expressed it. I didn't grow up practicing Lent, but I, I grew up where there was this sense that to come to church, you needed to feel like you, you got knocked around a little bit, right? There was this like, you're not doing very well. You need to do better. And there's this thing that we do at church called confession. In fact, we do it every week. But if you don't properly understand it and you feel like it's a chance for you to take a beating, then you're missing it, right? That, that it really, it's about how we look at our lives in a way that we go, I, I think if I change some of this, life would be better. I had this epiphany moment uh, in therapy this week and I, on Friday I was in, in therapy and I've been with this therapist for a long time and I think she could tell I was maybe beating myself up about a couple of things and she paused and said, could we just take a minute and let me tell you something I really like about you? And I'm like, we could do that every week. Like that would be, that'd be great. That could maybe be our sessions going forward. And, uh, and she said, she said, one of the things I really like about you is that when I point out something you didn't do very well, you, you listen to me. She said, you actually, you actually seem to get lighter when you realize like, oh, that's probably not helpful for me. I, I can do better. And I realized like, I do. I, I leave feeling like I, I've had a bit of a course correction. And it, you know the difference between a friend that helps point that out to you in love and somebody who's like coming at you, right? And I realized like, she wants my best interest. And when we come to church, confession ought to be this thing that we're like, we, we leave feeling lighter and better because we realize, I, I know I'm going to draw closer to God. I know I'm going to change some rhythms. And, and again, even when we pray our confession that are really, by the way, most of them are really beautiful. And, and they often reflect the very things that I struggle with. I sometimes get triggered by that understanding from the past. In fact, there's a lot of that going on in some church circles right now and in university circles. People are praying for this thing and you don't know really what it is, but they're calling it revival. And it's never bad when churches get together and sing uh, praise to God and pray more often. Like that's never a bad thing, but sometimes it's used in a maybe emotionally manipulative way. Anybody grow up going to like a church camp that I mean, they just knew how to play you from beginning to end. We had this one 
speaker for many, many years. And every year it was like he was so sick, he was going to die probably right after the service. They were taking him to the hospital and these were his last words, you know, and you're just like, wow. And then next year he'd recover and he'd be back, but also still at death's door. And it's a miracle that he's still there. And then the next year, right? And eventually you go like, I think we're being played here. This is not, we had a a similar kind of revival uh, type thing when I was in in school at Baylor and they did this, it was awful. You should never do this. They did this uh, open mic confession. Anybody ever been to one of these? Like confession's really good. You should share some of your deep struggles with people that love you. Don't do it on a microphone. It was literally just like college guys coming up one after the next, I'm a pervert, I'm also a pervert. I'm a bigger pervert. You just stop, everybody stop, don't. Go home, everybody go home now. Nobody felt good afterwards, right? And what I wanna invite you into is an understanding in Lent that confession, this place of like, I, I'm, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'm selfish. I don't wanna be. Sometimes I lack discipline. Sometimes I've even been lazy and I need to get up and work. That when we realize these things, it, it's actually really good for us. But part of what you gotta realize is that this fasting during Lent where we start to see these things is, is culminated on a Sunday that's not intended for fasting. So my wife even still struggles because if you, depending on how you grew up with Lent, you were just like, well, I'm not gonna cheat on Sundays. You're like, no, no, there are 40 days of Lent. The Sundays are not included in those 40 days. Sundays are always, 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 always. Sundays are supposed to be a taste of heaven. Not just a mediocre sermon from a middle-aged pastor, but, but also resting and feasting and being with people you like and playing some games and taking a walk and appreciating God's beauty. Sundays are for that. So you, you don't do the same kind of work you do at other times in the week. And that doesn't mean if you enjoy mowing the lawn, you can't mow the lawn. It just means you're, you're to do things that bring you joy. Years ago, I read uh, a, uh, a biography of Mother Teresa. I don't know if any of you have ever read it. And her life's fascinating. She cared for the poor in a way that I just, I, I can't even fathom. But part of what made me really sad when I read her, her memoir is that she describes going many decades without feeling joy or the presence of God with her. She said she went tens of years, 20 years without feeling real joy. Now, I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, that's not the life God made you for. It's not the life God made Mother Teresa for. In fact, every Sunday should be a little taste of heaven. There ought to be laughter and food and joy and abundance. And so during this season, we're seeking to practice exactly that. And I'm going to remind you some of what God is seeking to teach us during this Lenten journey. But if we are to confess today, this is one thing I think we ought to consider confessing, is that this biblical invitation to, um, as, as Christ prayed it in the Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our what? Our daily bread. Anybody here have just enough food at home for today? Anybody? How many of you are honest, you're like, if I combine the pantry and what's 
not yet in the pantry and what's in the refrigerator, like six to eight weeks probably I could live, right? Anybody just like, yeah, I could probably get by for, how many of you are never gonna raise your hand no matter what question I ask you? <laughs> Human beings in the room, please raise your hand. About 6%, that's, that's very helpful. I appreciate you guys' attentiveness and cooperation, right? There, there was this sense, and this is the story we're entering into in Numbers 11 today. Last week, Sean invited you to see this story of Exodus as a part of our Lenten journey. And God sent Moses to invite his people to do what? They'd been slaves. They'd been making bricks. That's all they did was make bricks. And God said, this is what I want you to do. Now, this tells you a lot about God. What did God want him to do? Party. He said, just release my people, Pharaoh. Give them three days. They're going to throw a big party in the desert, right? It's like that crazy one they do in Utah or something. I don't probably more worship-oriented, but still, right? It was going to be a great party. They were going to feast and they were going to celebrate God's goodness. What's the one called that I'm making? Burning Man. That's not exactly like that, actually. But a big party. And Pharaoh wouldn't do it. And finally, he ultimately lost his people after plagues and then this beautiful thing. And Sean explained it really well last week where God's people parted through the Red Sea on dry land. We don't know exactly whether it was the east wind pushing in or what it was, but, but things changed and they got through and it was beautiful. And then they cross over and God starts to really teach them. So Lent, you need to know, is an invitation for us to try to learn what the children of Israel learned in their journey in the desert. It took them 40 years. We're trying to do it in 40 days. A lot better plan, if you ask me. 40 years is a long time to wander around. And so in Numbers 11, we get this story. God's children have literally everything they need provided, right? The big problem living in the desert is what? Ask people in Arizona or California, they'll tell you. It's water. Right? And it's so dry. Anybody else? Like, I'm made for Houston. My nose starts bleeding if I'm there for like three days. Just come back to the humidity. Our skin's going to look better than all of those people when we're in our 70s and 80s, right? Because the humidity's just basting it for us beautifully, right? They, could, they didn't have water. They didn't know what to do. And God just told Moses, take a stick and hit the ground, right? Water. Now, this would be the point. After the parting of the Red Sea, the armies are destroyed. They don't even have to fight. They're in the desert to celebrate. Then God says, like, this is how you're going to get water. You would think that's the moment they're like, we got this. Like, we got this. Like, God's on our side. We don't have to worry about anything. Did they? No. So what we know is that then they ran out of food. And then what happened? God's like, I'll rain it from the sky like a really beautiful bread that you can grind and you can make into a sweet cake that's filled with something like an olive oil, right? I mean, it's amazing. It's like going to that old restaurant and you don't have any more macaroni grill, but you don't even have to dip the bread in the olive oil. It's just already in it, right? And they get as much as you want, as much as you can eat. But then it tells us in Numbers 11 that a contingent of Israelites had a strong craving for different food. And the Israelites started complaining again. Now, this is one thing you need to know. Complaining is more contagious than the coronavirus. It, you start complaining, everybody's complaining. And the Israelites started saying this. They started saying, who will give us meat to eat? Remember in Egypt, this is what you do when your heart becomes hard and you drift away from God. They started 
memorialize, anybody else can go, well, like my, that old girlfriend was amazing. No, she wasn't. That's why she's not your girlfriend anymore. But 10 years later, right, you can't really remember. They're, they're looking back, they're like, oh, remember in Egypt? We could eat whatever amount of fish we wanted or even the abundant cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic and butter. I just added that one, but it's still implied, right? And this, this can hardly be called food at all, just manna, right? What are they doing? They're like, it was an all-you-can-eat buffet in Egypt. Well, except you were slaves and they were killing your children, right? Anybody willing to pay with one of their kids? as the price to go eat whatever you want, right? If you do, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but, but you just, like that, that's a bit of a high price to pay for food, right? They, 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 it didn't make sense. And now all we ever have to look at is manna, 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 just more manna. The thing about manna, and it just explains what I told you, that it, you grind it, you bake it, and it's like a sweet uh, cake prepared with oil, like a sweet bread, right? And what was the thing with manna, right? Remember? They could gather every day how much? Just what they needed for that day. Why? Because if not, they didn't need God tomorrow. God didn't have to show up tomorrow. You realize why it's hard for us with all that we have to trust God and to need God? We can go six to eight weeks. We often feel like, well, yeah, I mean, I kind of deserve it. I'm working pretty hard. I mean, I'm pretty smart. Well, who made you pretty smart? Did you make yourself pretty smart? <laughs> no, right? And we forget that this is all connected to God. And then it tells us this literally, if I could turn this into a film, it would be a comedy because it is a comedy. He says, Moses overheard the people moaning at the door of their tents, right? And the words they keep using here, moaning, murmuring, grumbling, in the Hebrew, it's similar. They, they're, just, they're all words that are, if you remember from English class, they're what? Onomatopoeias, right? They're the words that are what they sound like, right? Whining, just, yeah, that's what God could hear, a million people. Anybody have a kid that went through a really whiny stage at some point? Right? <laughs> the most miserable thing ever, right? And what happens, right? It was probably just happening over here in the kid's space. What happens when one kid starts whining? Every kid starts whining, right? And you can imagine God's hearing a million people whine for, and Moses is in charge. So Moses is turn, turning and he's saying, like, this is too much. He turns to God and says, why are you so hard on me? I'm your devoted servant. Why don't you look at me with affection? He, he's like, God, do you even love me? Isn't it good to know that Moses felt that way too? Why do I have such a great burden of these spiteful people? He said, these people are driving me crazy. He said, did I conceive them? Right? Like, did I bear them and give birth to them? Can you hear Moses' sarcasm to God? It's over a million people. Like, did I push out one million people? And by the way, I'm a man. Then he, gets even, he keeps going, right? And he's like, why should you ask me to carry them as a nanny does a suckling infant? He's saying, do you want me to breastfeed a million people? Moses is done, right? 
literally. He says, and now where am I supposed to find meat to feed this crowd that I may give them food to eat? I simply cannot keep carrying them along. They're way too heavy. If you plan to treat me like this, God, then just kill me now. Anybody ever been brave enough to pray that prayer? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I, I can get pretty mad at God, but I don't think I'm ready to do the go ahead and kill me prayer, right? Moses is done. He says, if you care about me all, just put me out of my misery so I don't have to live out this distress, right? He's, he's like, and this is the truth. If you're around entitled people, it's not, God, the bread's nice falling from the sky, but we want more. We, we want more. We want different. We want better. And it's easy to make fun of the children of Israel until we look at our lives, Right? And what's the story for us? We get this house, but what do we want? What do we always want? The thing we don't have, right? Or more of what we do have. We just, we want that. This is nice, God, but what about that? And, and Lent is a season that we attempt our best to enter into the story of the children of Israel and go, I don't want to live that way anymore. I actually want to learn to be content with what I have in front of me. If it's manna, it's manna. But what does God do most of the time, right? And this is where it gets really scary. He's like, oh, you want meat? Oh, you want that house? Oh, you want that job? Okay. What does he do? I'll give it to you. It's going to hurt. What does he tell them? And literally in the Hebrew, this is why I tell you it's a comedy. God responds to them and he says, oh, you want meat? He says, I'll give you meat until it's coming out your nose. Literally the word in the Hebrew is vomit, right? Anybody been in that spot before? Like when it comes out your nose, it's a bad one. Because <laughs> you can't even wash that out. You're like, how do I ever get that taste out of my nose, right? And he says, literally the quails blow in and it was three feet of quail. And I don't know if they were as good as that bacon wrap quail at Papacito's or not, but apparently it was really good because they just started crushing it. And they ate so much of it, some of them got sick and they died. Can you imagine dying of quail overdose? Like, what do you write on the death certificate? Too much quail. They just, they literally, they couldn't, it didn't work. But God's like, if that's what you want, you're going to get it. Now, I got to tell you, Ecclesia, I see myself in the children of Israel and I don't want to live that way. I want to be content with what God gives me. I don't want to complain. And what God says the children of Israel had was the thing in the Bible you don't ever want to have. And so the question is, do I have it and you have it? And he says, they had a hard heart. Pharaoh had a hard heart. The children of Israel got a hard heart. What do you want? You want a soft heart. I could teach on this for weeks, but let me just give you a quick synopsis. If you want to know, like, okay, how to know if I have a hard heart, here's a couple of things just to think about. One, you may have a hard heart. This is sounding like a Jeff Foxworthy joke, but it's not. You, you may be a redneck if. Now, you may have a hard heart if you see problems, but you ignore blessings. If what you see is continually the, the obstacles, the problems, and, and your focus is just there, and you've got a list. If I asked you what's wrong with the world right now, you could, you could fire them off. And I go, what, how's God blessed you? You, you just don't. That, 
if those blessings are flowing out of your mouth, your heart's soft. But when your heart's heart, you focus a lot on the problems. If you want to know if you've got a hard heart, do this. Listen to what you say. If you complain a lot, your heart is probably really hard. And I got to tell you, this, is, this was Moses' problem, is that complaining is so contagious that it can ruin. It can ruin a school. It can ruin a company. It can ruin a family. It can ruin a neighborhood. You get one of those neighborhood associations where everybody just starts complaining, and everybody wants to leave the neighborhood just to get away from the neighborhood association, right? Because it's just complaining is so contagious. And usually the nicer the neighborhood, the more they do that, right? And, and, and instead, if what you say builds people up, if the words that come out of your mouth are words of gratitude and celebration, then you know your heart is probably soft. And then this one is the telltale sign. If empathy for you is rare, if you struggle to put yourself in other people's shoes, See, because your problems will seem so huge if you can't absorb or see or put yourself in the place of other people with other problems. Now, again, it depends on what's going on in your world and what you're exposed to, but I got to tell you, this is not like a manufactured empathy. Like, it's not the kind of manufactured empathy that happens when you're driving through a stoplight and you see some unhoused brothers and sisters there. That, that, that's made, right? And that's, that's this place where, and then by giving a few dollars, you really don't help the problem actually and you do something that's, it's not good for you or for our brothers or sisters actually. The, the, I can tell you later the better path, but the better path is building relationships and being a part of our church and being here and serving and going to Simple Feast and, and serving. When, when you're in a place of empathy, you constantly see that whatever I'm dealing with today, it's really not that big a deal. For me, and it's a gift because of the things I get to go do on your behalf, but when I'm having a hard day, I will never forget a man I met at the Venezuela border. And like a lot of people, he was coming to Colombia to get the things he couldn't get in Venezuela. And his mother's washing machine broke and you couldn't get a washing machine in Venezuela. And so he went to Colombia. I'll never forget this man my whole life. He strapped a washing machine, just like you have in your house, on his back. And he's just, he's walking to Venezuela with a washing machine on his back. And I, I'll tell you, every, every day when I start to get overwhelmed by what I have to do, I'm like, I'm not carrying a washing machine to Venezuela, right? Like that's not on my agenda today. And nothing I do will be that hard. And as soon as I can engage empathy, everything changes for me. My heart gets soft. Jesus tells a similar story about entitlement. And then I want to invite you into some practices that I think will help. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king whose son was getting married and the king organized a great feast, a huge wedding banquet, and he invited everyone he knew. And the day of the wedding arrived and the king sent his servants into town to track down his guests. But when the servants approached them with the king's message, they refused to come. So the king sent out another batch of servants. And the king said this, tell these people I've invited to come to the wedding banquet. Tell them I've prepared a great feast. Everything is ready. The oxen and the fattened cattle have all been butchered. The wine is decanted and the table is laid out just so. This is going to be an amazing feast 
a party, a celebration fit truly for a king. And the servants went off and they carried the king's message to the errant guests who still paid not a whit of attention. One guest headed into his field to work and another sat at his desk to attend to his accounts. And, and then it goes on to tell the story of these people that were totally ungrateful. They were totally entitled. They thought they deserved. And so what did the king do? He invited people in from off the streets. And even when he invited the people in off from off the streets, they appreciated it. They were grateful. But there was one guy, he says, that didn't want to put on the proper attire. He just didn't care. He was entitled. And what you hear in this story, and you know it if you're a parent, and you know it if you have a coworker that's that way, is that being entitled people is like spiritual cancer. If you think you deserve what you get, right? Anybody been around a kid? Their kids, my, my kids have friends that are driving cars I will never drive, right? Ever. And they kind of act like they deserve it, you know? I don't know, because their parents made a lot. I don't know why. I want to go like, get the kid a beater. Like, what in the world? Are you? I don't care how much money I have. My kid's never going to have that car, right? It, it wouldn't be good for him. I shouldn't even drive that car because if you scratch it, you're like indebted for life. You get around people that are entitled. It, the difference, if you get around people that are grateful. Brene Brown says this. She says that what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. You can either flout your privilege. Again, some of you are going to have amazing cars and you're living amazing homes and you have amazing blessings. It's okay, but appreciate it. Celebrate it. It's, it's a gift. We all are wealthier by the world's standards than anyone could have imagined historically. Let's celebrate it with gratitude. So this is what I want to invite you to do during uh, this feasting day. I'm going to give you a really clear assignment, and I'm asking you to just humor me and see if it shifts something in your heart. I, I want you to go home today and feast. Now, again, feast is not about quantity. Uh, Golden Corral is not a feast, okay? Did you know they have sushi at Golden Corral? Who would eat sushi at Golden Corral? You are a risk taker extraordinaire if you're eating sushi. At Go that stuff's been there for days, for days. No one eats sushi at Golden Corral. It, it's not about all you can eat. It's not about, you know, gorging yourself. It's about enjoying. So what I've told people historically at Ecclesia, and I don't know for you, but I can tell for me, I know where I am with Jesus and my relationship with God. I can see it if it's healthy or not, when I sit down to eat. If I eat fast, I'm not in a great place. When I eat slowly and I talk to the people at the table with me and I savor every bite and I pray, this is what I want to invite you to do. When you eat today, will you feast and enjoy and will you not just pray before you, the meal, I like to pray after because depending on how good it is, then I know how grateful I really am. <laughs> would you pray throughout the meal? Would you, would you thank God when the food is put in front of you for the farmer that grew what's there, that cared for the cattle, for the immigrant workers that risked their lives to come here just to work and provide for their family? Would you ask God to bless them? Would you ask God to bless the, the truckers 
that carried it from place to place so that it could come to you, and the people that worked in the gas station so that they could drive their trucks, and everybody at HEB, I love my HEB. I can pray for every, every employee and what they do and how they care for it, and just the lady that makes the amazing tortillas, whoever she is, like she's amazing. And you just pray for each and every one of them throughout your meal so that by the end of your meal, your meal was a prayer meeting. And, and it was a prayer meeting of gratitude. And this is what I believe, Ecclesia, that when we open ourselves up to that kind of gratitude, we just become kinder, better people. We leave behind hard-heartedness and grumbling and complaining. The world's not perfect. Some things that have been not good for you, some people have been unkind to you. I'm sorry, but I hope that instead of putting your focus there, you can put it on the abundant blessings that God has given you. Let us not be like the children of Israel that have everything we need, but we just want something different. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.